I'm excited to be here this morning. We're in Revelation. If you have your Bibles, open them to Revelation chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to begin there in verse number 7 of Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we've been walking through this book. And today we're uh, to the church at Philadelphia. And uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and following. I can remember uh, being in seminary several years ago. And seminary is <clears throat> where you go to school to... Anyways, you go to school. If you're going ministry and pastoring, you go to seminary, right? And, uh, and so I was in seminary, and uh, interesting conversations would be had, uh, especially early in the week. Monday, you would go back to school after the weekend, and uh, many fellows are out there serving churches in the area, somewhere within the area, and they would come back to school, and you'd have these conversations. It's always interesting because you would look around, and, and you would see a, lot of, you'd see a lot of faces that were very much discouraged and dejected and just really had a difficult Sunday. And you start talking, and it's interesting and, and how many fellows would, would, would on Monday say, man, if you know of a church, man, I, my church has so many problems. You know a church, if you could send my resume out there. And uh, if, if, you know, if you know of a church that doesn't have problems, just send my resume out there. And it's like, hey, if I knew of a church that didn't have problems, I wouldn't you send your resume because you'd mess it all up. But uh, and when you're talking about the church, uh, churches, again, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And the reason is because churches are made up of people. In fact, the Proverbs say it like this in chapter 14 and verse number 4, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of an ox. And this morning you say, Preacher, are you coming, calling us an ox? Nope. I'm just simply saying sometimes we're stinky people. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes we make messes. We're just people. In fact, I've had the question asked, and, and, it, and it comes up oftentimes, what's the greatest problem in your church? What's the greatest problem in your church? It's one of those conversations that's had oftentimes. And, and I tell you, the greatest problem that I have in my church is me. Tending to me. Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm a people, I'm a person. And uh, God help us understand that we are not a perfect church. Now, if you're visiting today, I'm grateful to God to have you visiting today, and, uh, and, and you're checking out the church family, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, Morningside is about as close to perfect as you're going to get, but anyways, uh, we're, still, we're still made up of people, uh, people. And so uh, with that being said, no such thing as a perfect church. However, this church at Philadelphia, uh, they weren't a perfect church, but I tell you what they were. They were an incredible church. Uh, when Jesus was writing these letters to the seven churches, uh, that, that, that's recorded in chapters 2 and 3, uh, what you'll find is you'll find two churches, this being only one of two, where when Jesus was writing to them, he did nothing but commend them. There was nothing in them that he said, hey, I need to really call you out for this one right here, but rather he's commending them. Uh, they were doing some things that were really, really great. And, uh, and so the question would be, what was so special about this group of people at the church at Philadelphia? So let's read the passage, and then we're going to break it down. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. 
Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole earth, upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast uh, what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, in verse number 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write in him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And uh, this morning, he's just simply writing this letter to Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia, as we know, is brotherly love. That's what it simply means, is brotherly love. Now, Philadelphia was a city that was on a trade route where uh, in that day and in that time, the Eastern world, the Greek world, came to meet the Romans. And so it was a strategic city for them. In fact, there was a lot of commerce that took place in the city of Philadelphia. But it was a city that was marked by Greek customs and Greek cultures. And so the Greek people, because they had this strategic city where they could infuse the Roman culture with their own culture, looked at the city of Philadelphia as being the place where we can help expand our Greek culture. And so it was a strategic city for not only uh, the, 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 the Greeks, but I tell you what it was also, it was a strategic city for the church in Philadelphia. Praise God for putting his people in strategic places, opening doors of opportunity for them along the way. In other words, it wasn't just expanding Greek culture, but it was also, for the church's sake, we looked for the opportunity to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ in this strategic place. It's amazing. When I think of strategic places, uh, uh, I believe that we're in a strategic place. We're in a city that has uh, uh, several universities, and so we're talking about influencing and impacting generations to come. We're talking about sending out missionaries from right here at home in our backyard. And so I'm grateful to God for putting us where he has, not just in a college town, but even in this particular place in this city. Do you realize that when this church was put into this place, there was nothing out here except for farmland. This was a cow pasture. That's what we had here. These were cornfields out here beside us. And uh, in fact, I've had the privilege and opportunity to talk to some of the people who said, yeah, we would take the cows from this field and walk them down basically a dirt path over towards Pedrick uh, over towards Buck Lake Road over there, and, uh, and it was just a bunch of cow pastures back in the day. But I believe that God and his sovereignty knew that, hey, the city's going to come, and there needs to be a church out there in that place. I believe that he sovereignly planted us right here in this location strategically because now we're on the fastest growing side of the community. And with that comes great, great responsibility. I'm grateful to God for where we are. I wasn't going to go into all that, but we did. <laughs> 
So he says this. He's writing uh, about the city, and he introduces himself as he has to every other church, and he says this. He gives a threefold introduction of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is writing to the church. God Almighty is writing to the church. And again, I like to just encourage you. It's one thing to say, well, what did he say to that church? That's a great question, and we're going to look at that question. However, God help me. If you were writing to me today, what would you say to me today? The one who knows my hearts, the one who knows uh, my thoughts, the one who knows me uh, better than I even understand my own self. What would he say to me today? Well, he introduces himself in a threefold way. He says, he who is holy, talking about Jesus Christ. He who is holy, talking about the purity of his character. This is a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who is unstained. He's the only one who is untainted by sin. He is the only one who is truly, truly unspotted. And in fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he made him, talking about Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, he's simply saying, hey, there was a sacrifice that was unspotted, untainted, worthy to pay the price for your sin and my sin. But he was without sin, so he took my place and he took your place on the cross. That's what he did for us. And so he's saying, hey, the one who is without sin, the one who is holy, the one who is pure, again, a declaration to his deity. But then he goes on to talk about his conduct and his, that he's perfect. He says, who is holy and who is true, who is true. And at the end of the day, he is the only one who is totally true. I mean, what we do is we try to practice what we preach, but what he did was he basically preached what he practiced. I mean, we can be truthful but we're not true. We can be truthful. In fact, you can take a man that, 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 that does nothing but lie, nothing but lie, nothing but lie, nothing but lie, and you can talk to that man. And if he never tells anything but a lie, and in a moment you say, hey, tell me about yourself, and he says, well, I'm a liar. In that moment, he's truthful. And so are we. Uh, but, but, but Jesus is truth. In fact, the Bible says in John 14 and verse number 6, he's introducing himself, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And here he's introducing himself again, and he's saying, hey, uh, the one who is true, he speaks true, he is true to the core. But then he goes on from there and talks about his power, says this, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. In other words, he's, he's referring back to Isaiah, and in Isaiah chapter 22, and verse number 22, there's a story, and it says this, Isaiah 22, verse 22, then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder, and when he opens, no one will shut, and when he shuts, no one will open. And he's talking about this fellow by the name of Eliakim, and Eliakim was granted the keys to the house of David. That comes with great authority, that comes with great responsibility. What he's saying is Eliakim has been granted all of the resources of King David. Because he holds the keys. And what he's saying to us is that Jesus Christ holds the keys to everything you will ever need. That's who he is. In fact, I, I can remember, you know, when you're talking about the one who holds the keys, who opens the doors along the way. The one who holds the keys to all the resources of heaven. I, I remember when I was at Florida State, 
and, uh, and, and playing baseball, there was a fellow by the name of Jimmy Calloway, and some of y'all might know Jimmy Calloway, he's deceased, but he was a great man, and uh, Jimmy Calloway was our equipment manager at Florida State, and he was for years for all the athletic, uh, uh, all of us, and uh, for baseball, and football, and basketball, and, uh, and, and he held the key to the equipment room, and uh, anything you needed, I mean, it was amazing to me. I got to know Jimmy Callaway because, man, he had the keys. I mean, he was a powerful dude. If you need batting gloves, he had them brand new. If you wanted a new bat, you could go into the room. If you wanted some new spikes, he had them. If you wanted whatever you wanted, he had the key to all the resources you needed to do your job. Now, it was funny because every time you talk to Jimmy, Jimmy, I'd like to see if I can find a new bat in here. And he said, well, Gilly, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't matter what you swing. You can't hit anyways. <laughs> so, but that's okay. But listen, Jesus holds the keys to everything you and I will ever, ever need. The Bible says over in Philippians chapter number 4 and in verse number 19, Philippians 4 and verse 19, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so he introduces himself, and then he goes on to talk about the control of Christ. He says the control of of Christ in verse number eight. Verse number eight, he says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing, man. I know what you're doing. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so he's talking first about his control. There's a couple of doors that he mentions there, two kinds of doors. He says, there are some doors that are closed and no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to open them. And there are some doors that are open and no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to close them. There's a couple of kinds of doors, but when you're talking about Jesus and you can look through the word, you can find several doors to which he holds the keys for us. In other words, when you're looking through scripture, you'll find that Jesus holds the keys to the doorway of death. He holds the keys to the doorway of death. Revelation chapter number 1 and in verse number 18. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18, the Bible says, "In the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. He holds the keys to death. He's the giver and taker of life. It was Job. If you remember the story of Job, when Job, his whole family was taken out, and, uh, and, and Job responded, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was Job saying? Job was saying, hey, my God holds the keys to death. So he holds the keys to the doorway of death. Not only does he hold the keys to the doorway of death, he also holds the keys to the doorway of salvation. He holds the keys to the doorway of salvation for you and for me. The Bible says in John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, verses 7 and following, the Bible says it like this. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who, who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And verse number 9, he says this of chapter number 10. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the doorway of our salvation. He's the only way to be saved. In fact, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father 
but by me. In John 10, I am the door. There's only one door. In fact, when you look through Scripture, it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament. The way to look at the Old Testament and understand the Old Testament is always look for Jesus in the Old Testament because every page of Scripture is written about Jesus Christ. I mean, it's God's story of redemption. And so when you look back at the stories in the Old Testament, they're not simply there just to look and say, wow, what a wonderful story was that. But if you go back and look, for example, at the story of Noah and his ark, Noah and the ark, when, when all of a sudden the rains came down, Noah built this boat, right, this big huge boat, and on that boat there wasn't but one door. I mean, that's how he was told. There was only one door. There was only one way to get on to the boat. And do you know that, that just before the rains began to fall, that, that, that Jesus Christ was the one who shut the door? He's, he's the one who controls the doorway of salvation for you and for me. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse number 44, it says, no man may come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. Jesus said that. Now, what's that saying to us? What that's saying to me and what that's saying to you is you don't determine the day of your salvation. You don't determine how or when you're going to approach him. He holds the keys to the door of your salvation. And when his Holy Spirit draws, we need to respond because there's not a guarantee that he will continue to respond tomorrow. Just ask the people when God shut the door on the ark. It was too late. Jesus controls the keys of death. He controls the keys to the doorway of salvation. But he also controls the doors, the keys to the door of our service, of our service. He opens the doors of service. He opens doors of opportunities. He closes doors of opportunities for us along the way. He's the one, if we wait on the Lord and trust in him, he will open those doors and draw us and lead us to where he wants me to be and where he wants you to be. That's how he is. He's the doorkeeper. He holds the keys to the door. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16 and verses 8 and 9 say it like this. <clears throat> so Paul was writing, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why are you going to do that, Paul? He says it in verse number 9. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, oh man, you know what our adversaries are? Adversaries in our life is simply obstacles uh, uh, that we see that are opportunities that God sees. In other words, God can use me and God can use you if we don't get overwhelmed at the obstacles and say, man, i got to get out of here. How many times do we look for another door when God opened a door for us to be exactly where he wants us to be? And you say, man, I don't like it here. Well, God, help me. Help me to be the salt and light that you call me to be in this place that you have placed me right here. You know what happens to us a lot of times if we're not careful? Is we set out to do things for God. What we do is we say, man, I'm going to do this ministry for God. I'm going to serve in this way for God. And then, and, and then what we do is we say, here's a doorway, God. Come through it. And use me. And it's backwards. It's backwards. He's saying, hey, I'll open the door for you. And a lot of times what happens is we get simply frustrated, and ministries oftentimes fail, because God didn't open the door 
but we chose to do it anyways. And it just doesn't work that way. But I tell you what's amazing to me is how God does, in fact, open some of the most crazy, effective doors for us in ministry along the way. I, I, again, I, 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 time will fail me if I, if I try to do all of it. But let me just tell you, one of our most, most, effective, most effective areas of ministry for our church family is the Good News Club. We have a Good News Club at Buck Lake Elementary School. And it wasn't that we said, hey, let's, let's figure out a way that we're going to go down there and we're going to have the privilege to every single week have worship service with 150 kids. I wish I could tell you, yeah, that's what, that, that was my plan. <laughs> we did not plan that. That was a door that was presented to us nearly, nearly almost 20 years ago. In fact, it's been an incredible blessing because I have the privilege to, to, to do uh, some collegiate ministry stuff now, and, and, I, and I love it. Uh, uh, but, but I'll tell you what's interesting is, is I, had, I had kindergartners that I taught at Good News Club that are now in collegiate ministry. What a blessing is that. But let me tell you how that worked. Here's how it worked. <clears throat> man, I'm just here. I'm, I'm just starting out, man. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just grateful to God to have a place to be able to preach in a church family. We have the opportunity to just grow together. And, uh, and, and I got a phone call one day from a guy. said, hey, uh, would you be interested in doing a good news club at Buck Lake? And I'm like, good news club, man. That's like flannel that. Like flannel, that kind of ministry. What did he call it? Flannel stuff? Flannel graph, you know, back in the day, old school. I was thinking, that's old school. Who, who wants to do that? That's my thought, initially, initially. I'll pray about it. And, uh, and I did. And God burdened our hearts. And we went down to the school, and I, and I said, tell me about what, what, what you're asking from us. And, uh, and they told me, they said, well, you know, if you go down there to the school, what will happen is one day a week you'll have the opportunity to have a worship service there on their campus with the kids. I said, man, okay, we'll do that. I said, what, what are we talking about? How many people I need to get? He said, well, we'll have about 12 or 15 kids probably show up. And uh, typically through the year it kind of dwindles off a little bit. And I said, oh, so, so two or three people can cover it. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's all you need. Man, we went down there. And on our first day of sign-ups, we had over 90 kids signed up. And I mean, I, I wish I could say, man, I was like, praise the Lord. I was like, man, who is that turkey that called me and lying to me? I got to find me some help. But do you, know, do you know that God opened that door and he provided plenty of hands so that now for over 20 years we've been on the campus having worship service on a public school campus Largest one in the whole state. We didn't set out to do that. God opened that door. And I praise God for that. And so one of my prayers is, God, please keep that door open for us. Please keep that door open for us that we can continue to go down there. And he does that for churches. He does that for individuals. God, God, what do you want from me? Give me the door, and I'll walk through it. Ministry. He opens the door for ministry. He opens the door for service and so we trust him with that that's why we got to be careful that when god opens a door and blesses a ministry that you don't get all cocky because sometimes we do he opened the door i'm grateful for that well we got the control but then the commendation of christ so he's writing them and he says this <clears throat> he goes on verse number eight same verse i know your deeds behold i put before you an open door no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word 
and have not denied my name. So he's giving them the reasons. He's saying, hey, here's the commendation. You've got a little power. You've got a little power. It's interesting how he's writing, saying, hey, you know, you're, you're that church. There's really nothing impressive about you. It's not that you've got big numbers. It's not that you've got big buildings. It's not that you've got, uh, 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 you know, a lot of influence. You're just a small church out there. In fact, in and of yourself, you're, you're, you're kind of weak. In fact, the Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses number 26 and following. What's what Scripture says about that? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that nobody can boast before God. He just uses ordinary people. And, and, and what happens is when God... Here's what happens in churches all too often. God does a work in and through a group of nobodies. And when he works, if you're not careful, you start thinking, it's because I'm somebody. And so God help me and help us recognize I'm just a nobody serving the king. <laughs> that's, that's all I am. That's all we are. We're just nobodies serving the king of kings. So the question is, if there was not really anything impressive about them, then what was so good about the church? He says, he says hey, you got, you, you, you've got a little power, uh, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. And so, so here's the two cornerstones of what makes a church a great church. This is it right here. This is two cornerstones of what makes a church a great church. He says, you kept, you kept, number one, my word. You kept my word. In other words, they embrace the scriptures. They embrace the scriptures. You know, I, I think of our church, and I'm grateful to God. Not every church, not every church can say, hey, we want to hear the word of God proclaimed from our pastor in our pulpit. Not every church, not every church can make that claim. In fact, I, I would even go so far as to say there's a lot of churches that would fire me for preaching God's word. That's messed up. That's seriously messed up. But, I, but I'm grateful to God to have a church, a body of Christ, and it doesn't mean we always say an amen because we ought not always say amen. In fact, if we're preaching from God's word, there's going to be a lot of times that we're saying oh man rather than amen. But we need to hear that because it sharpens us along the way. God's word is essential to a solid church. And I'm grateful that, that I can say, man, we're, we're, we're much like the Philadelphian church. We recognize the necessity of God's word. That's why we've got Awana program. Do you know the Awana program, it's all about, it is all about God's word. That's what it's about. And man, we've, we've, got, we've got people that are volunteering more than what we even need volunteering. Why? Because we recognize the importance of God's word. Every, every area of ministry that we have is built on God's Word. I mean, our youth ministry is built on God's Word every time they get together. Let's make sure we're opening the Word of God. Why? Because we desperately need to feed one another from His Word. And it needs to be 
untainted food that needs to be good. God's Word is so important. I mean, we, we even have musicians that are theologically sound. <laughs> That's kind of a joke. I'm just playing. I am grateful to God because I'll tell you what. There's a lot of music out there that's sorry music. It tickles the ears, but it's sorry theologically. And I'm grateful to God for worship pastors that recognize, hey, we want to do it right. We want to do it right. So I'm grateful for that. We practice the word, number one. Number two, exalt the Savior. You've not denied my name. You know, it's one thing to hear God's word. It's another thing to practice God's word. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, you haven't denied my name. You, you've not just... Talk the talk, but you're walking the walk. You are living life to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, what you are is you are Jesus with skin on. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 20, if you go there, I don't have it on the overhead, but it, but it says this, you, you are my ambassadors. In other words, you are, that's why, that's why we say, man, you know what you are as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? What you are, who you are, is you are Jesus Christ with skin on today in this world. You have the privilege and the honor to be empowered and entrusted by God Almighty to do his bidding along the way. And, I, and I'm grateful to God, man. We have a church full of people. I'm grateful to God. We do have a church full of people who are saying, hey, I want to be his hands and feet along the way. And he, I, I, I am amazed. I am, I am amazed. In fact, in fact it's su such a blessing whenever you hear of things happening in the body that it's like, hey, we're, we're not a church. If you're looking for a church where it's all about the pastors on the staff that do all the ministry, this ain't the place. That's not to excuse any one pastor because I believe that we have pastors that are chief servants in our body as well. But the church that's healthy, the church that Christ commends is the church that says every member is a minister. Every member has a responsibility to be my hands and feet. And I believe the church at Philadelphia was a church that whenever you met one of their members, they were Jesus with skin on. They were busy loving people. God help us to love people. It doesn't happen by chance. I'm grateful for the privilege, again, that we have a church family that says we're about people. We're about reaching people with the gospel. In fact, the whole Vanish thing, we have a drama coming up. And I just want to encourage you, man, to be in prayer about that thing. Uh, if you've never walked through one of, our, one of our fall dramas, I would encourage you, sign up early. Okay, sign up early, like the first Friday night. Why do I need to sign up on the first Friday night to walk through a drama that I've never been to? I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because I believe that God, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to grab your heart and he's going to bring some people to your mind's attention and heart's attention that you've never shared the gospel with and they need to hear the gospel and you'll have privilege to bring them back with you the next week. Y'all all right? <laughs> I am thankful to be here today. The Bible goes on to say this in verse number 9. So the comfort of Christ. So he's writing. He says, man, this is why. You, you, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. And then he goes on to say this. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not. In other words, he's talking about those who are practicing Judaism and they're not saved. They're Jewish people uh, biologically, but they're not saved people. They're lost people. And I'll make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept my word of my perseverance. I 
also will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast uh, that you, to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out uh, from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out from heaven from my God and my new name. <laughs> he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he's writing them, and he says, here's several things that I'm going to bless you in an incredible way. Because one of these days, we're going to see him face to face. You, you realize that one of these days, everybody in this room is going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And the question is, are you ready for that day? He says, man, I, I'm looking forward to my family. In fact, those that are, that are faithful, let me tell you what's going to happen. And he says several things. Number one, I'm going to give you a special position. A special position is going to be had just for you. In verse number 12, he says, I'm going to make you a pillar in heaven. The Bible says in, in, in verse number 12, he overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, in the dwelling place of my God. And so back in the day, what you had is you had these columns, these pillars, and you would have people that, 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 that for whatever reason, they, they might have made ma major investments into the community, and so they would build a statue and, uh, and, and make a pillar down there in town, literally, literally. And, uh, and so that you could walk by and say, wow, there's a, one of our pillars of our community. And so today we talk about the pillars in the community and who are the pillars of the, in the community? Those who hold special places of significance. And so he's saying simply this. Sometimes we get into the book of Revelation, especially the book of Revelation, for whatever reason, our minds kind of check out and think, man, he must be, why, why do I want to be a, a, a pillar? Well, he's not talking about making you a statue and carving you out. He's just simply saying, here's a place of position and significance for you a pillar in the community of God Almighty. In fact, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, I believe that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by a lot of stuff. But when you're talking about the faithful, when you're talking about people that have had significant impact and investment, and God says, I'm going to make you a pillar, I think that we overlook a lot of pillars. Be faithful. Be faithful to him and your calling right where you are. He wants to bless your socks off. He says, not only, not only make him a pillar, a special position, but I, I'm going I'm to protect you in verse number 10. He says this, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so when you're talking about the hour of testing that will come on the whole world, I believe he's talking about the great tribulation. I think he's talking about the tribulation. We're going to get into the tribulation in just a couple of chapters. When we get over there to chapter number 6, we'll start walking through this period of tribulation. And so there's a lot of different people with a lot of different mindsets in, in, in the church uh, that, have, that have thoughts and feelings and ideas about the tribulation. Uh, in other words, when will the rapture occur? Will the church be present during the period of the tribulation? That's one of the great questions, and some people say, and so there's different ideas. There's 
what some people would, would be called pre-tribbers. What is a pre-tribber? Well, pre-tribbers are those people that believe that the rapture of the church is going to come before the tribulation period so that we won't experience the period of the tribulation, to which that's where I ascribe. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Some, are our mid-tribbers, believe that in the middle of the tribulation, he will call the church home. And then some are post-tribulation, uh, uh, which makes no sense at all. Uh, simply because the second coming is going to happen. So what's he going to do? Shazam and back again? I'm not sure. Maybe that's what you ascribe to. That's cool. I'm just simply saying that I believe that God will pour his wrath on the world that's not saved. So why do you think that the church will be gone? Why do you think that this passage of Scripture, this verse of Scripture right here, he's saying, I'm going to keep you from the testing that's coming on the whole world. I believe that's a statement saying you won't be here during that tribulation. Here's what's interesting. When you're reading through the book of Revelation, what you will find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where, where we are, he, he makes this statement to the churches. He says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's speaking. And then when we get to the middle of the tribulation, all of a sudden, the church disappears after chapter number 3. We don't, we don't have him writing to the church anymore after chapter 3. In the midst of the tribulation, he's still sending word and writing letters. Revelation chapter 13, which is the middle of the tribulation, he says this, Revelation 13, verse number 9, And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. What's missing? What's missing? The church. To the church. Why? Because we're not here. We're with him. So, pre-trib, he's saying eternal protection. You won't go through that period. I've got you. I've got you. And then he says, not only that, but you are an incredible possession of mine. And he says there in verse number 12, as he's writing, he says this. <clears throat> he overcomes, I will make him a pillar. And we talk about that. And he says, I'm going to write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. And so he says, hey, you're, you're going to be a special possession of mine. I'm going to write my name on you. I'm going to write my father's name on you. You know, when you think about those possessions that you had over the years, a lot of times what we do is we'll write our names on those possessions, won't we? And why do we do that? Because I want the world to know it's mine. It's my stuff. That's mine. Saying, you're my people, and you are special people. And I'll write my father's name on there. I'll write the place on there. But I'll tell you what else is going to be written on there. My new name. My new name. You know, last Sunday, <clears throat> we sang a song in this service, and uh, one of my favorite songs, uh, A Thousand Names. I know you by a thousand names. Remember singing that last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday? I know you by a thousand names, and, and, and we sang about ten of them, but still, I know you by a thousand names, right? It's going to be a thousand and one names, because <laughs> we're going to have a new name. Why, why a new name? Because we're going to know him in a new way. What a day that's going to be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. 
when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, can take me by the hand and lead me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day it's going to be. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Have you been faithful? Have you been faithful? That's what he desires from us. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? As we pray this morning, I just want to ask a couple of questions. And the first one is simply this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been born again? Because we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about being a religious person. We're talking about a new birth, a spiritual birth, a time in my life when I recognized, man, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And my sin has separated me from a holy God. He is holy. He is true. And I'm not. And so that sin that separates me needs to be dealt with so that I might have relationship. I might be close, near and dear to my Father. Jesus Christ, He who knew no sin, He became sin. He took my sin. He took your sin and paid the price of our sin debt on the cross. And the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. What does that mean? That means that the only way, the only way I can be saved is to humble myself before God and acknowledge I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough. I can't go to church enough to be made right. The only way and the only hope I have is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that because of that, my sin can be cleansed. And today you can. You repent, you call on the name of Jesus Christ, and today, today, you can be saved. If that's never happened in your life, I'm inviting you today to call on his name. To call on his name. We're going to sing a song. After we sing the song, we're going to have people waiting down here, down front. You come. We're going to have a baptism going to happen here about 1010. Invite all of you to hang out for a minute in here, but then come join us right outside. We're going to be out here in the courtyard celebrating salvation. But today may be the day of your salvation. You come today. Maybe you're here this morning and say, man, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you, and I know that one day I'm going to see him, and I know that I'm saved. But I also got to confess today that I haven't been faithful. Man, I haven't been faithful. God's opened doors, and I haven't walked through. Maybe God's closed doors, and you're still sulking and ticked off because it's a closed door. Maybe today you just say, hey, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Start fresh today. Oh, God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Oh, God, thank you for this opportunity, once again, that we have to respond during these days of grace. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.